0: Yet.
1: I haven't even thought about packing for Paris. Do you ever have that thing <laughs> after every time this happens, when you pack at the last minute and you're rushing around, the next time I'm going to do better, the next time I'm going to be more organised, the next time... I, I don't even know where the suitcase is. I was thinking that this morning because we're recording this on, what day is it? Tuesday. Um, and I think I've got to find the suitcase. But I seem to find so many things to do apart from packing. And then it'll be that last minute, throwing everything in, don't want to forget anything... Um, I mean, have you have you unpacked from Rome, let alone pack for Paris? <laughs> no. <laughs> My suitcase is kind of,
0: well, I'm halfway through. I've, I've gone through the washing, that's Good. done. But in terms of the clothes that I didn't really wear, they're still in the suitcase. Because they're probably just going to stay in there. I'm mean, going to go to Paris on
1: Saturday. But I've got time. You go to Paris when? Tomorrow, Thursday. Thursday. Wednesday. No, Thursday. I'm going. Thursday. I'm going to go. (laughs) I'm getting in. I think Thursday (laughs) afternoon. The one thing, and look, I know you've been there as a player, but I noticed it a little bit with your wardrobe mishap in Rome. Please take warm, waterproof clothing to Paris, because every year I don't, because I, I have that thing in my head. It's Paris in the springtime. It's going to be amazing. I've done this for years, and every time I go it rains, there's a cold spell, it's freezing and I do not have the right things to wear and I'm just very, very cold. So, and I noticed in Rome, you said to me, I'm really wet and I didn't pack the right things. So can I, even if you look at those really dodgy apps, I look at the dodgy app on my phone, which I should never look at because it's always wrong. If it says Paris, I don't know, 35 degrees for the next two weeks, don't believe it. And please take a jumper and something waterproof. Yeah, jumpers is what I was lacking in in Rome. And it was freezing the day that
0: it rained because we're in a metal box. That's <laughs> a lot of commentary boxes tend to be metal boxes. And it gets very, very hot or very, very cold. So, yeah, I, I missed out on the jumpers. But hopefully in Paris with the new new court, Philippe Chatrier looks very flash. I love the look of it. It looks really snazzy, doesn't it? Hopefully we'll have nice commentary boxes. Do, when
1: you went out a few weeks ago, did you see... The commentary boxes? I didn't see an awful lot of a stadium. I mean, the work they've done is incredible because when I went out and we were going to the the FFT, the French Tennis Federation headquarters, which is about a five-minute walk from Roland Garros, we sort of circled Roland Garros and you look towards where Chartres is and, and the three of us in the car just went, how is that going to be re-? I know we always say this and then things are always ready, but at the time. You did not think that stadium was gonna be ready. And now to see the videos that all the players are posting, the the frenzy of, of Roger Federer returning to Paris and Serena Williams practicing, to see it like it is, it looks amazing. But you'll still get cold. You will still you will still get cold. <laughs> I'm just I'm just always cold when I've been there. So just because that's the thing, it's, it's outdoor tennis tournaments. So we've talked about this before. There is nowhere to go when it's what you found that in Rome. You couldn't even get into the player lounge because that's where everyone goes. So you end up wandering around outside and just getting a little bit cold. Yeah. And I hope we've also got new commentary
0: boxes in Wimbledon for the number one court. So hopefully, well, I mean, they have to be new because that was where where a bit of the roof went. So they're definitely not where they were. <laughs> they're completely squashed because part of the roof is stored where the commentary boxes were. Uh, so we've got new ones there and that looks very nice as well. They had their number one court opening uh, at the weekend. Was that the weekend? Yeah. And it was it looks great so I'm looking I'm hoping there's going to be a sofa and we're going to have a fridge it's going to be luxury for the commentators normally we're on we've kind of got I don't know some sort of old desk a chair that's from like a five-year-old primary school sort of thing very uncomfortable commentators are never comfortable but I think that's good keeps us sharp keeps us focused we're either too hot or too cold
1: that That is true. It's, it's one or the other. It does depend who you're commentating with. So if you get those people that are always hot, they, I tend to sort of feel the cold more, you know, I get cold quite a lot. But if you're commentating with someone who's just a very hot person in the sense that they just feel very hot uh, <laughs> before that's taken the wrong way. Um, it, it's They always have the air <laughs> conditioning really, really low or, or, or full on blasting and you're absolutely freezing. So it kind of, de- I think we're kind of similar in commentary boxes. I don't I don't think either of us are that fussed, are we? I, th- I think we're the not and fussy people. I
0: don't think I've ever asked to change the thermostat. Oh no, I,
1: I've worked with people and say you're in a commentary box that it has a sort of, a very elaborate commentary box and it has a little sort of thermostat that you can sort of up and down. I've seen people sneakily sort of just put up a little, just a little little notch every now and then, just so you don't really notice. And before you notice, it's boiling to the point where you're sweating in the commentary box or they do it the other way and your teeth start chattering and it's freezing. So there's a little bit... Yeah, but commentary boxes, more often they're they're colder than hotter. But I think if you're imagining it in... If the Roland Garros, the Philippe Chatrier commentary boxes are anything like the old Philippe Chatrier radio commentary boxes, you're not fitting a sofa in there. You 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 might fit a chair, and if you're lucky, on an angle, you might fit two. <laughs> but, but don't go imagining fridges and sofas, because I don't want you to be disappointed when you get there.
0: I've always thought that I, I wonder whether our commentary would change if we were kind of just sitting, you know, on a sofa if you could kind of elevate the sofa so that we can still see out of the window and we can still see the court nice and relaxed, that'd be be cool. Because it's like, you know, people are watching at home, aren't they? On their sofas, nice and relaxed, having a chat about it. And you want the commentary to be kind of conversational or am I going off on a tangent that should not be explored? (laughs) I'm not sure. But I just want to sit on a sofa so that I can be comfortable. And I'm thinking in my head, like this will make the commentary better. We should definitely do
1: this. If you and I sat on a sofa to do commentary we would end up chatting to each other and not paying any attention to the tennis we'd be in that comfortable (laughs) down the pub maybe recording the podcast kind of conversation we'd be sitting there'd be really relaxed and I don't think we'd be focused on probably what people would be tuning in for us to be focused on so I don't think well you look you're not going to get a sofa and you're not going to get a fridge in your commentary box so I just just I just want jumpers waterproofs and realism (laughs) (laughs) Cavade. Realism. <laughs> <laughs> i live in my own world so i'm just in my own head all,
0: all the time <laughs> uh, i tell you what in rome i don't know if you commentated on it or not because we we're working for different people i didn't commentate on it and i was quite fortunate to not commentate on it which was the nick kyrgios match because that Is quite a challenging situation, I think, to try try and describe to people. It's dramatic and it's very interesting, but he got defaulted. And it's very difficult because supervisors and people aren't mic'd up. You don't really know what's going on until he picked up his bag and walked off the court. Then it was quite quite clear what was happening. (laughs) It's extraordinary, isn't it? Oh, curious. And he took out Medvedev in the first round. And then I'd had enough in the second, I guess. <laughs> that was it. He got his one
1: match. We had a tweet from Karthik, who, to, at Tennis Podcast. And if anyone has questions or comments, do get in touch with us. So we'd love to hear you talk about Nick Kyrgios's exit from Rome in the next episode. And it was, I was actually, that was my day off. So the day when there are 20 matches to be played after the day of no play. So I was there for the day of no play. And I didn't do an awful lot of commentating, didn't do anything, did a little bit of talking. And then I had the day off and I remember I was looking through social media and I, I, all I saw was the little clip of him throwing the chair across the court. So I'm really coming in late <laughs> and I'm thinking, what's he just done? What's going on? And then you start to see the chatter that sort of emanates from that. And I, I find, though, in terms of commentating on Nick Kyrgios, if we leave that match aside for a second, I do find it quite difficult because there is no rhythm. There's there's no rhythm partly, and, and I'm talking radio commentary, so you get into that rhythm of, of points by point and shot by shot because, firstly, he's so quick. He literally gets the ball and hits it, and you're like, oh, uh, it's over. Um, and there just there is no rhythm. Whether he does that is just him, he does that to unsettle his opponent – But it can be very difficult and then suddenly maybe he will go through a stage when he's not that interested and that becomes quite difficult and then you get other bits that come into it and then he's an absolute genius which all those ingredients should make it really easy but actually to get a rhythm in a Nick Kyrgios match is really really difficult and then when things start to unravel I don't want to be too negative about him I I've, I think I've interviewed him once. I think, I think he's an okay guy. I don't, I'm not against him or I think sometimes he does go too far. So you don't want to be too negative, but it's quite hard when everything starts to unravel and it's radio commentary. So you're painting the picture. So luckily, you're working TV in Rome. You can let it breathe. And if he throws a chair, people have seen him throw a chair and if he's not interested for a game, they've seen he's not interested for a game. But in radio, the difficulty is you're there to describe it. And, and I find it it would be so easy sometimes just to get into kind of this negative place in a curious match but I really don't want to do that but it, it yeah it, it just generally a Nick Curious match I look forward to doing it you don't know what's going to happen but it can be quite difficult to commentate on. or listen to the interview turned out to be a podcast that uh, Ben Rothenberg did with Nick Kyrgios? I have listened to it. It was
0: whirlwind, <laughs> I must say. Well worth a listen and credit to Ben for getting him to speak so openly and honestly. I mean, well, he always speaks pretty honestly, but uh, to to come on and, and chat about all different sorts of things. I found some of it fascinating, really fascinating, particularly when he's talking about himself. I was less interested when he was talking about other people because... I mean it's just his opinion isn't it really it's not for me it's not really an insight that's just you know he doesn't like somebody so he doesn't like somebody apparently he doesn't like Fernando Vadasco there you go I'm sure there are people who do and people who don't right just like some people like Nick and some people don't but I found his stuff about himself really fascinating what did you make of it?
1: I thought it was great Um, I think Great credit to Ben for getting that piece, because if there's, there's been a little bit of history between the two sort of back and forths on um, on Twitter that Ben actually addressed at the very start. And Nick Curious was like, oh, yeah, no, sorry. I kind of troll people just when I'm, I don't know, at night, in the evening, don't really mean it. But I thought it was great that because you have to when you want an interview, you have to put in a request whether it's ATP or WTA or you might go through the agent and you normally have to say what you want to do so it's for it's for this it's probably going to take this long and it's t- to get Nick Kyrgios to sit down for an extended period of time to start with i think is really good because normally with players you'll be like you've got 5 minutes with them and you're like ah or you've got three questions sometimes you've got two questions you're like what am i going to do with two questions so amazing that he got Kyrgios to sit down, he was obviously in a good place, he was very relaxed, and I'm like you, I found the stuff interesting about him, it does seem that that tennis seems to take him to quite a dark place, that was sort of his word, that he's been to some dark places and he didn't want to expand at the time, uh, some of the bits I think we knew, but I thought great, because Ben was going to ask the questions, the great thing about Ben, he was going to ask the questions, the difficult questions, the questions that maybe we wouldn't want to ask, we'd be like, oh Nick, you're great and you're this, he will. Benny just get in there and say, "Well, tell me about this and and what about this and push him on certain subjects." And no, look, I found it a fascinating um, listen. Yeah, the bit about the other players, I, I'm not gonna lie, I was intrigued to know what he thought, and and so when the names came out, you're like, "Ah, oh, what does he think about this person?" But I agree with you that in terms of the really interesting stuff, is when he was talking about himself and sort of telling us what we, you know, just sort of reaffirming the things that we knew and that you know, basketball. Lights the fire, and Cures and he has a passion. But tennis, he doesn't really want to practice, and and he made the point that Bernard Tomick was working harder than he was, <laughs> and he couldn't believe it. And I, it was great. Look, how often do you get a player that will sit down and be that honest, sort of no holes barred, would just sit down and talk? And in a way, it was a shame that the day after it came out, that happened. Do you, do you know what I mean? I, it was it was such a shame because I kind of thought I'm really not that I thought doing that podcast was going to change Nick Kyrgios and make him a different person, but it was such a shame that that after he'd been really honest and maybe a few people would have listened and thought, okay, this is a different side to him, this is how he thinks, he then sort of reaffirmed, reaffirmed the thoughts that a lot of people have about him when everything unfolded against Kaspar Root.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I found it fascinating how honest he was and actually how self-aware he is with himself and, and tennis in that he doesn't necessarily love it. You can't make yourself love something. Can you even if you want to, I think his life would be an awful lot easier if he did have some sort of passion for the game, but he just doesn't really seem to. So I, I found that quite interesting and it, just looking at it or listening to what he said, this is the, these are not the words that he said, but this is kind of the opinion that I've formed. I guess it just seems like he Is so, so good at tennis, but it's not really the right thing for him in terms of the life of being a tennis player. And that is most of the time. The actual tennis bit is such a small amount of the time. And even smaller are the hot shots and the great moments. That's even less of the time because you go play a match, you're going to play 500 or 1,000 or maybe even more basic shots and you might hit... 10 flashy winners it's such a tiny part of the match which is such a tiny part of your day and being a tennis player and I just think that the the vast vast majority of being a tennis player is just not for him it doesn't suit him at all um but hope and but he's what I liked was he said that he's trying to find a way to make it work so he said look you know I'm playing a reduced schedule this year I'm just doing the mandatory events and we'll see if that makes me feel a bit better and we'll you know we we'll try that so I, that I found really interesting I think he recognizes that he is of course incredibly talented he definitely recognizes that <laughs> he's well aware <laughs> that, he, that he can beat anyone and he would like to fulfill some of his potential I think you can see that but it just seems like it just doesn't suit him uh, it just doesn't it just doesn't really suit him i i guess what is required the rest of the time if it was if the tour was played back home in Australia and the season was i don't know three four months long. I think he would be absolutely brilliant. I think he'd be superb, and we would see the best of Nick Kyrgios. But he doesn't like to be away, which you have to be. He doesn't like to play for eleven months, which you have to. He doesn't like to play all of the time, which you have to. Like, th- there's just so much that goes on that he doesn't. He d- you don't. He doesn't like to play on really small courts. Kind of has to, especially with that rain in, <laughs> in Rome. I don't know where he was. We had Del Potro against Goffan on Court Four, which is a tiny court. It was amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I just think. unfortunately for him, you know, it's so easy for us on the outside to focus on the matches that we see, but the rest of it, he just can't handle it. Like even like he was saying, like, I just can't handle the way people are when he was talking about other people. Like he's like, I just want to kind of chat to guys and hang out and play a bit of basketball and have a laugh and do something. But everybody's just so into themselves and nobody wants to kind of communicate with me and that sort of stuff. I found that really interesting because Something that I felt reflecting on my career and look, there are not many similarities to me and Nick Curios, I must say. (laughs) Uh, Quite a lot of differences (laughs) across the board. But what I can say is that it was a massive shock to the system for me that the life of being a tennis player was so difficult. And actually I'd been so focused on the matches and forehands and backhands. I found I, I it just it just hit me like a train i just it just smacked me around the face when I first started playing going Wait what this is this is the life that i i've been driving for and desperate for this life, and I get here and this is this is awful like this is really horrible I really don't enjoy this at all i 'm exhausted i'm jet lagged i 'm by myself, nobody understands what i 'm doing or what i 'm going through, and the only other people who do understand and you do actually have any sort of empathy for within this situation are the other tennis players who like Nick Kyrgios says are so into themselves you're never going to have any sort of strong relationship with any of those players not until after you stop was really odd. So you're in this bizarre sort of isolated individual situation and you're surrounded with all these people going through the same things, but nobody will communicate about it. No, Everybody's got their teams and their own little things and I found that incredibly difficult. It's the part of the reason that I, I stopped playing because I realised that the bit that I was passionate about and that I absolutely loved was playing matches and training, to be fair. I'd probably throw training. I loved training. Training and matches, competing, I absolutely loved. But unfortunately, that's still probably 10, 15% of what you're going to do. The rest of it is the traveling and being by yourself. Or if you're traveling with kind of a, a coach who's like a 50 year old guy and you're a teenage girl, and there's just, you know, it, there's just there's so much else that goes on around it. So I can kind of really empathize with what he was saying, I think he experiences it in a very different way. It's just, for him, maybe it was never his passion and never his drive to get there, but he's just so ridiculously talented that he's there, he's ended up there and he's going, I don't really like this. I I just don't really like doing it. Like, whatever's expected of him is not really what he wants to be doing. So, I I think it'll be really fascinating to see what he does over the next couple of years. At the moment, it's tough to see how he's going to play past the next few years. It's going to be it's tough to see how he's going to sustain a long career in the sport. He said he didn't really think he was going to because his body's ruined from playing basketball. He doesn't look after himself. But even if you play till you're 30, I don't know. Like it's, it, that's an awfully long time for somebody who's really not enjoying it.
1: If people haven't listened to the interview, it's the NCR podcast, No Challenges Remaining podcast, that Ben Rothenberg hosts with Courtney Nguyen. And this was a special one. This was Ben in conversation with Nick curious And I think that's why it's a shame everything that unfolded in the defaulted match against Kasparud because I think listening to that there would have been some people who maybe started to and again curious didn't sit down and do that to get people to change their opinion of him but I think there would have been a few people who thought so this is what he's going through and this is what he doesn't enjoy and maybe understanding him a little bit better and then he does what he did against Kasparud and I was working with Steve Pearce an Australian and and for sort of Steve that's just slamming the door shut again so if the door was opened a little bit it just went shut again. It was oh well, that's Nick Kyrgios and that's what he does, and that's such a shame because in that podcast he he really opened up and you you got to know a little bit more about him. But then suddenly it's bang okay, that's what he does, and it's uh, he he's made a little um. So do have a listen to that podcast if you haven't. He then made a stop via the All England Club of all places because he went to train with Andy Murray. Yeah, I know, right? It, it's it's which I think is good for him. I think
0: Andy is the one seems like he's the one guy that he has massive respect for he really likes him because Andy is quite an open sort of person and the communication I think that Kyrgios was looking for he probably does get from Murray but yeah hopefully he can be a bit of a good influence or maybe maybe there's just no hope and they just had a nice time who knows but yeah, it was extraordinary. When when I didn't know what had happened, we were actually on our way up to the commentary box because we were taking over for the next match. And this is on the day where there's so much going on. You had Federer and Adal playing at the same time. It was it was madness. So we weren't doing the Kyrgios match. And then as we were walking up the stairs, I was working with Lee Goodall and he just checked his phone and it said it said DEF, which is default. And he just looked at me and just went, oh no, Nick's been defaulted. And I just thought, oh what's he done so then we're kind of going on Twitter I mean it literally just happens we're then going on Twitter and then we were kind of saying to each other oh what do you think he's done and I said well I think too many code violations so four code violations is the minimum to get defaulted from code violations so I was like four code violations you know you get your initial one you get your point and your game and then you're done which is kind of what happened actually Um, but (laughs) And then we got up there and we read on Twitter, he threw a chair onto the court. <laughs> we were thinking, what? What is going on? And then we, of course, saw the the video. And uh, and as I say, we we popped up and we joined our commentary team as they were commentating on the final moments, not knowing what was going on either. But yeah, it was just, it is a shame. I can understand why people get frustrated and don't want to get behind him, but... I just see it as he's kind of finding his way. I, I'm, I'm actually very... I really am very supportive of him. I'm not in any way saying that his behaviour is right and or this or that he's a good role model or any of the other stuff that gets knocked about or he's going to be number one in the world or win a slam. I don't really care about that. You've got to care about somebody being okay. And the only thing I think is that maybe tennis is just where he's not going to be okay and maybe he needs to be doing something else I don't know but that's not because he's not trying or or anything like that it's because you know you can't you can't pick this stuff you can't decide and as I say it was a huge shock to me that everything I'd ever wanted was not at all what I thought it was going to be and it might be something similar to that so yeah, I, I I don't know really, but it will be interesting to see what comes of it. But but when you put all the fines together, it was a very expensive trip to Rome—a twenty-five thousand <laughs> pound trip to Rome. <laughs> Extraordinary. I don't, I don't know. I can't explain it. I mean, I mean that guy really.
1: Let me ask you. Did um, so I'm sort of taking it off on a tangent now. But you did, for Madrid, you were working for ATP Tennis Radio. So I've already forgotten, everything blurs into one. I think it's sort of old age. Um, So Madrid, you were doing radio. For Rome, you were in the TV commentary booth. What was the biggest differences from you flipping? Did you talk too much on TV or were you very disciplined from the start? (laughs) Well, firstly, we've got a mini
0: bar, we've got a sofa. (laughs) No, you haven't. We've got it all going on in TV that's where all the money is. No, one thing I noticed was that I coming coming from radio to TV, I didn't I didn't feel like I talked too much. I I've I've done a kind of a, a, enough of both that I feel like I can slip in and out quite comfortably, but one thing I did notice on the first day or two, I was saying their names a lot. So on radio you can you start talking and you you kind of got to remind people who you're talking about and obviously they can't see anything so you, you just have to say names like so constantly like who's serving and what the score is or or as I say just who you're talking about so if we if there was a point a, a good point so I did Auger Yassim on the first day there'd be a good point and he'd hit a great shot and on TV you can just talk about him you can just say because the replays there of Auger Elaliaim hitting the shot and you can say oh yes you know. Looking so strong out wide on this forehand, you know, great rotation, great load. This is an amazing shot for him, or whatever. Whereas I just kept saying his
1: name, <laughs> so it was just kind of. Like, and his name takes quite a while to say, anyway. So by the time you said his name, a few I know. Times. Right?
0: <laughs> so that's why I picked it up because I, kept, I was just kept hearing it, and I was like, this is getting really annoying. And if it's annoying for me, it's annoying for people. At home. <laughs> so I was. Just, so I'd say something kind of like oh Auger Eliasim there out on the forehand side looks really strong and big rotation big load it's one of those strengths for Auger Eliasim and you so it's just an unnecessary amount of Auger Eliasims in there you don't need any (laughs) at all and for TV maximum you need one but for radio you probably you do kind of need just a little bit More, I think, especially because sometimes radio is background noise and all that sort of stuff, you just need a little bit more clarity. So, I was like, I'm saying names a lot, uh, but that was, but that's only myself being self critical. It's not, I I don't think anybody else noticed, to be honest.
1: I was asking Lee, and he was like, meh, not even listening to you, it's fine. (laughs) No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, because <laughs> TV, it's 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 less is more, and talk to the pictures. Whereas radio, it's there can never be enough. <laughs> just keep talking and just describe everything. So, so if you're yeah, so one day if you're on radio and you you describe the players walking out of the tunnel onto the court, suddenly you get to TV and you have to stop. So don't do that. People can see that Raffendal is walking out to court. Don't tell people he's walking out to court. <laughs> and it's those little things yeah. and that sort of the initial changeover. I remember last year at Wimbledon, I. I was doing TV in the morning and radio in the afternoon. And it Oof, was that is quite tough actually. In same in one day, I've not done that before. So I was telling myself, don't don't talk, just don't talk a lot. Don't talk. All morning. I kept saying just don't talk. Just don't talk a lot. And then you go to radio and I was like, you now you've got to talk. You've really, really gotta talk. And it was by then I was exhausted. Just because I the, the discipline of saying don't annoy people who are watching these pictures. So Please stop talking. And I was thinking to myself, and then radio. And a couple of times, my producer says, "I mean, you can you can talk if you like." And I thought, oh, of course. <laughs> so it's that sort of having to having to flick from gear to gear. Oh, I had a shocker though in our predictions competition. I think yeah, probably the maximum points you could have got across Madrid and Rome was well, maximum would have been what three, four thousand points. I don't know if, if you got a if you got a couple hmm. of finalists and a semi finalist whatever. Um, I got something like 200 points in Madrid. I mean, really bad. So I come into Rome and I thought, I'll do something different. I'll get one of, one of the twins to pick my players. So, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll get them to pick the one to eight, because the names are written down, and, and the nine to sixteen. the rest of the field, I thought it's a bit much getting them to go through a whole field when they're not even four. So the, the top two chance they just had to point. So, so my, my eldest was, was nearby. So I said, oh, could you just uh, point it? landed on Del Potro. And I thought, oh, third tournament of the year. Yeah, not so sure. Um, he, you know, he could have gone Djokovic or team on a Dali and Federer. And then the second bunch, second raft, he went Hashinov, Karen Hashinov. So And, and I I'd said to myself, I will go with whoever he chooses. I did not go with either of the players <laughs> chose. <jokes>. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought about it too much. I decided to go for players who I thought had a better looking draw and it was easier. My players fell, oh, ever so early, like super early. And as we know, Mine too Hashinov did okay, Del Potro did really quite well <laughs> and i was sitting there thinking it, it was awful i'm a huge supporter of del Potra, and i'm thinking you cannot win this tournament you cannot win this tournament because otherwise i can never but now i'm in that situation where if for the next one i get them to pick it they'll probably do really badly you know, you know what i mean i can't i can't really win now but it was no i had a bit of a shocker on um a kind of shocker on predictions, yeah, me too. I, I would absolutely
0: shock her. Rome. Rome was it through people, I think, quite a lot. But it was, I mean, it was great to get the Rafa and Novak final that fell a little bit flat, which was a bit bit of a shame. I mean, Novak was just exhausted, wasn't he? He was absolutely toast. And it was one of those things where after his epic matches against Del Potro and Schwarzman, he <laughs> We were looking at it, thinking, "There's no way. There's no way he can come out and take on Rafa the next day. He's absolutely dead." But then there's just something in the back of your mind going, "No, eh, he's done it before." You think about Rafa, um, if you think about Djokovic in 2011, 2015, he was looking like this. He was looking like the Walking Dead, and he'd come out and play five sets the next day, and he was absolutely fine. So there's that always that nagging doubt in the back of your mind, thinking you cannot write somebody like Djokovic off physically. But in the end, it turned out that he was yeah, just absolutely dead. He did quite well, actually, to, to get things going in the end. But it took him at least a set to actually shake the legs out at all. So, uh, yeah,
1: amazing. An amazing showing for Johanna Conter in a WTA Premier mandatory event getting through to the final when well, she lost to Carolina Pliskova, but she beat Kiki Burtons who is being talked about as one of the favourites going into Roland Garros because of the form that she's displayed on clay for Johanna Conta and how many times do people say, oh no it's not her service no 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 not her service Surface. to to get to the final in Rome was, was brilliant from Conta
0: yeah it was it really was uh, an amazing effort from Joe. I didn't see it coming did not see it coming at all I f- think she was great like really great she looked composed she knew what she was doing out there look at me she didn't really play incredible clay court tennis because that's not her style but she just played and did what she does and did it really well it wasn't too high risk which is something that I've maybe been a little critical of her from before but it was just sensible disciplined joe we always we like a good disciplined joe <laughs> sometimes she's too disciplined actually but Oh, it was great. Oh, I was so pleased for her. And it was nice. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's nice to see her doing well again. It's been a really tough couple of years for her. You know, to have your ranking fall that far from four to basically 50 within a year is quite extraordinary. I mean, there are a few players who've gone through it. She's not the only one. You can look at Bouchard, you can look at Jack Sock. You know, there are there are plenty around. But it's a difficult thing to do. So the fact that she has regrouped and is now looking to push back up the rankings is great. And to get to a final like that is such a big boost, especially on clay. And just in time for
1: the grass—that's what you got to do if you're British. You've got to time it. <laughs> we have to do our Roland Garros predictions today because the next time well, the next time we see each other is going to be before it starts. But the next time we do a podcast will be underway. So we've really. I mean, I I don't know why I'm even bringing up predictions because I'm so bad at them. Um, but if today you have to pick a winner, men and women, and give your reasons why, who are they? Nadal. Because Nadal is just, he's got
0: to be the favourite. Surely he's got to be the favourite. I think he is playing better and better. His forehand down the line is absolutely phenomenal. It is one of the scariest things Ever. And it was actually kind of, I mean, it wasn't funny, but it was m- maybe possibly amusing watching Sitsipas and Djokovic both get sucked into the trap of trying to attack to that forehand side to open up the backhand. And he was just like, uh, no, I'm going to just drill the forehand down the line past you. Because it was especially when they were inside the court. So Sitsipas would take his inside out forehand hard into the forehand of Nadal. And he was just left stranded because Nadal could just bend it around the back. Of it was amazing. I, I loved watching that. I think Nadal. Come on, what's that? Is it number
1: twelve?
0: God, that's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm going Djokovic um, because well, a because I did that in our time capsule predictions that we did in January, so I'm going to stick with it. And B, I just think he wants this so badly. He, I don't think we, we, we can and we can't read too much into that Rome final. I mean, the fact that he was bagel, the first bagel between the two of them in all their meetings, the fact that he was able to get it to a third is quite incredible, when I don't think there was a lot in the tank apart from fumes. And he wants it. He wants to have all four in his hand at one time. That's, these are the different goals that he's setting himself now. You know, we, we wondered where the goals were going to go after he won French and had won them all. I think this is one of the goals now. These are, these are the records. These are the moments. These are, I think, what he's peaking for. And when he gets that look, when he's on that mission, so I, I will go, I'm going to go Djokovic to win. And for the women, you're going... Oh, you go first for the women. I went oh, first for the men. Oh, this is... Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to go Halle. Oh, Interesting. To be honest, you could have said anyone, and it would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go with Simona Halep. She's been there, seen it done. It. She's been disappointed in finals. She has won the title. She's so good on clay. I love watching her on the clay. I think I've got a soft spot for Simona Halep. I think she's great. Uh, I, no, I think there's, I think there's other names I could sort of throw about another ten names at you, but I will, I will go with Halep to come out on top at the end of it. Okay, I think that's fair enough. She's done it before. I. I
0: kind of, I just don't know. I, I just don't know. I've always fancied a bit of Pliskova on the clay. Last year, she made the semis, I think. And she really went under the radar. And she's very good. She's very good on the clay. You know, she gets that first strike in. She could play on anything. She could play underwater. It doesn't really matter. It, like that, that ball is going to get it done. So I think that she could be a dark horse. You've got, well, who else you've got? You've got Halep, you've got Burton's could potentially win her first slam. Sloane
1: Stephens, finalist last year. Who's to say she cannot go one better and lift the title? She's shaken things up with her backroom staff. Sven Grunfeld's on board. So possibly, possibly for Sloane What name haven't we mentioned so far? Someone we talked about last week. Well, there's one more. Well, there's
0: one more that is maybe a little bit out of form. But when you think about clay court tennis, you've surely got to put her in the mix, which is Kazakina. Because... She knows how to play on that surface. She is so, so good, but she is just out of form with her tennis and her game. Because unfortunately, on the women's side, there is only five weeks of clay a year. So it's all very well kind of modelling a game on Nadal, but you don't have the same tour as Nadal. You've got much quicker courts to deal with (laughs) and very different opponents. So that's where she's struggling a little bit. But yeah, I've expected more from her on this, this clay court season, but I feel like she's maybe been a dis, bit disrupted. But you just can't count her out. If she gets on a roll, if she starts feeling good, then for me, she's one of the best players in the tournament in, in terms of the clay. So
1: hang on, run me through the names you just mentioned. Because I'm not sure if, if I wasn't listening, because I always listen to you, or if you, run me through the names you just mentioned. Pliskova, Burtons, Halep. You mentioned Stevens. Yep.
0: I said yep. and That's it. That's it. I think that's,
1: that's it. it. Is that it? Right. We oh, Kvitova maybe? Kvitova, nah.
0: yeah. I don't, I don't know. So, oh, you
1: want me to pick What? Well, no, is it? Is it, Okay, so Serena Williams for you? No. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to say no, not to <laughs> Serena Williams.
0: I don't think she's going to win. I feel like Burton's should really have a good look at the title, but... I think it would be better for her if she wasn't coming in as one of the favourites. Like if she was a bit more under the radar, she actually is probably one of the best players, like one of the best clay quarters around. So yeah, I don't know. Do you know what? I'm gonna go for I'm 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 gonna go for Plishkaba. I know she just won in Rome, so that makes it a little bit more obvious, but she made semis last year. I think, <laughs> and, and she's been uh,
1: she's been she's been great, and I, I think she could she could do it. I love you with your facts because you come across as so confident, <laughs> and then then there's a <laughs> little. Well, I think I'm not sure. Maybe I made that up. Quite possibly, she did well. She did well. I know that. That's all I know. I think she did well. It's probably not the worst thing in the world that Kiki Burton's lost to Johanna Conter and didn't go through to the final in Rome because it probably takes a little. Tiny bit of the pressure off gives her a little bit more time to prepare and then come into Roland Garros. So it it may not have been. I guess a lot of this depends on how the draw falls. I mean, we're doing this before that's been made, and we we might want to we might want to reassess when we next speak.
0: Yeah, well, let's redo it then on the on the draws when, when once the draws are out, let's have a look at that. We
1: could do. How about we do because uh, we're both going to be in Paris. end of the week before it starts we could do a little what about we do a little video that maybe we upload onto twitter and instagram of our pics once we've seen the draw okay right we can do that is that okay yes we're gonna do that we um i oh and also i'm looking forward we it, it didn't work out in rome very different schedules um just didn't really have time to eat and do those kind of things together I'm excited about France because remember I need to hear your accent I need to hear you (laughs) sitting down in a French restaurant and just putting on that little sort of just French accent as you ask for I don't know whatever it is you ask for (laughs) yeah that's not gonna happen
0: I'm not gonna have I don't have an Italian accent now that's I think i 'm pretty confident in that,
1: but I thought I thought you said you, you blend it into wherever you go, you sort of end up putting a little bit of a twang
0: English speaking countries is more what I meant <laughs> less less French. Well do you know
1: what we'll see we'll see.'ve got a good two weeks there, so we'll see what happens. very excited it's the main reason I, I want to meet for dinner. <laughs> I just, and you're, you're going to do all the ordering I 'm not going to say a word I'm just going to sit in silence and I just you're going to just take control. But you speak French. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you help me out? You're, you're taking control. This is this is one for you. <laughs> I um, I'm gonna go and find my suitcase because I'm starting to get worried that I haven't done anything. Um, so I'm gonna go and find it and. Get ready and get things sorted. If you forget anything, I'll just bring it out if you want. I'm coming out a couple of days later, so. Oh, we've done this quite well, haven't we? We've kind of, we've staggered it. So if I forget anything, I'll probably forget, I'll probably forget loads. I turn up with some strange things these days. Since the twins, I don't really have a lot of time to pack. And I might end up with some of their stuff, you know, (laughs) opening it up. It's not really going to work but um, no, I'm going to get the suitcase and I'm going to attempt to, to make a start on it and I look I look forward to for dinners and chats and podcasts in Paris yes, podcasts in Paris I love it, can't wait Tennis going to Paris Tennis is on the road like a road, well it's not really a road trip it's a plane, road, train trip to Paris <laughs> see you there I will see you in Paris, bye bye bye